Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. Show. And we are super excited to have Celeste Chan here with us today. Hi, Celeste. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to read her bio, which I love. Um, Celeste Chan writes, makes films, performs, teaches, facilitates, and organizes cultural events. The child of a Chinese immigrant father and a Bronx Jewish mother, she came out as queer as a teenager living in Seattle during the 1990s. Inspired by Riot Girl, Celeste started making films at the Evergreen State College and earned her BA in international feminism. Since that time, she's joined film collectives, Shifting Narratives, Folsom Street Film Collective, and won several awards and fellowships, Hedgebrook, Lambda Literary, Mona, Soaring Gardens, and SF Arts Commission. Her recent films, Queer Historical Mixtape with Irina Contreras and Absence, No Fats, No Femmes, No Asians, have screened at, um, at colleges and national and international festivals. Her writing can be found in Ada. Away, Citroen Review, Cream City Review, Feminist Wire, Hyphen, The Rumpus, and more. From 2008 to 2018, she co-directed Queer Rebels, a queer and trans people of color arts project. A lifelong student of alternative education, Celeste coordinates Writing Rainbow, QTPOC free school series, and serves as a teaching artist at the Queer Ancestors Project, where she facilitates free writing workshops for LGBTQ youth 18 to 24 years old. She's a contributing editor for Foglifter. So welcome. <laughs> so thanks for making time for us in the middle of your oh-so-open schedule. <laughs> Just doing a few. I feel like I feel hopeful that the world is going to change with, with everything you're doing. That's <laughs> really exciting. <laughs> oh well, I, I hope I can contribute to that. Like just this forward momentum. I mean, I think I think we all really need that, right? I and I and I think there's a lot of exciting artists that are working in the political realm or who are working in arts and organizing that. And, and I feel honored to be some part of that. (laughs) It's really, it's so important right now. Um, Let's quickly check in about what we're working on. Um, Angie. Thanks. Um, (laughs) I am, you know, I'm still in the middle of the transition for my school stuff. So, um, Kind of Angie's wrapping that kind up. of accidentally working three jobs right now, so that's kind of <laughs> taken over any any art. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about you know it's interesting because our school is very project based learning. My film degree actually was very project based learning, and um, and just to say by our school she means the school our children attend. Yes, that sorry she's, that she's inadvertently running right now. <laughs> <laughs> Learning is an overstatement, but anyway. Keep going. Um, yeah, and so I'm actually really looking at and thinking about, so if does thinking count as working on something? Because um, if it does, I'm doing all kinds of projects right now. Um, but thinking a lot about sort of feedback loop and, ref- and reflection. And, and one of the things, you know, in learning that is really clear is that it's not actually having things repeatedly uh, exposed to the brain, it's the brain repeatedly producing that actually causes learning. Uh And so thinking about like something like a novel, which is massive, how do you increase the number of feedback loops? Because it's such a private process. I think theater, often you have like rehearsal, 
right? And you can try things out and you can explore things. But with a novel, what what does rehearsal look like for a novel? So just kind of thinking about those kinds of how, how do we take what we know about learning and apply it to art? Sorry. That's very good. Um, <laughs> I love that we're going to, it's wonderful that we're talking to somebody who's so multi-media, uh, multidisciplinary, uh-huh. because I'm writing a novel that's set in a theater. And like this week I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to put stage directions in. Like it's got these different voices. And I'm, like, I'm going to put, and this was like, seemed so radical to me. Like I'm sitting there and I'm doing it. I'm like, this is like a brand new breakthrough thing. And then like last night I was driving home and I was like, well, it's a script. Like, it's not, that's not new. So I'm kind of sitting with that. But it's a novel. It's, anyway, but I'm having fun. So that's what I'm doing right now. How about you, Celeste? What are you working on this week? Well, I was going to say, oh, what am I working on this week? Um, I was going to backtrack and say, yeah, well, that's exciting. I mean, novel is new. <laughs> I like that about increasing feedback loops. I'm like, oh, yeah, especially for something that's so solo in so many ways. I mean, other art forms like theater or like film are very collaborative or there's so many players in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, I, c- I can relate to many of the things you've talked about. <laughs> the, um yeah, what am I working on this week? I guess I would say, I think in September, I took on basically three big new projects. Um, one being um, teaching with the Queer Ancestors Project. And the project itself has been around since um, 2010, and it was founded by artist Katie Gilmartin. Um, however, the creative writing program is brand new. Um, I basically approached Katie with the proposition of, hey, I want to help start this. Oh, cool. I think it would be really cool. And here's this opportunity. Why Why don't we do this? Why don't we write this application? Mm-hmm. And then it was born in September and uh, has run September through June. So I've just finished um, one full cycle of... Um, teaching that first year of that program at Queer Ancestors Project. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I think I'm one week finished. (laughs) No, um, (laughs) nine days. days. But who's counting? (laughs) So could you say a little bit about the Queer Ancestors Project? Just uh, not all of our listeners would necessarily know what that is. So if you could speak a little bit to what that project is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so founded in um, 2010, the Queer Ancestors Project is um, a free workshop series for queer and trans youth. And historically, it's been free printmaking workshops where um, youth get to explore their history and they do a significant amount of research also about queer and trans history. And then they create, I think they create two or three original prints based on their research and um it concludes with a showing of their work so so how did you so what did you do with the writer people so with the writers um i met with them twice a week no three times a week i'm sorry (laughs) where's my where's my brain Um, i met with them three times a week in um a couple different cohorts one was like a drop-in two classes and then a drop-in writing session amazing yeah, and we worked um, to create, here, I'll show it. We worked to create the program's first anthology oh. called Tender, 
the Queer Ancestors Project anthology. Uh, Yeah, I like to say what it is. And it has the work of 20 different queer and trans young people. And it... um, Oh my goodness. And just to say, because everybody's just listening, so so Les oh, yeah. is holding up this beautiful book with this gorgeous <laughs> drawing of kind of like two hands, and yeah, there's art inside. Yeah. yeah. And we'll link to it in the yes, show notes. Yes, we will link to oh. it. Oh, how exciting. Are they for sale? And I should say, um, let's see, there um I think my remaining copies are free, but they um, reprints, because we'll go into the second round, Ooh. reprints will be available for sale on Foglifter Press. So it's just foglifterpress.com. Um, we collaborated with this journal to produce, and that, that, that's why it looks so beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's Foglifter. Yeah. <laughs> Spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would definitely send people there to okay. go and support the program and yeah. yeah, I'm I'm just really excited by the work of these yeah. young people. Mm-hmm. Are you going to do it again next year? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can people apply? Yes. Yes, abs- absolutely. I'm Oh my goodness. I feel like I'm holding up these things that don't necessarily translate. Yeah, right. Well, cuz nobody can yeah. see them. But we'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. cool. We'll link to it all. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay. Oh, awesome. Well, there is an application process for queer and trans youth 18 to 24 or 18 to 25 and um you know, in this in each 16-week session, they'll have the opportunity to work on six different concrete projects and prepare work for to revise and to publish Mm. and yep that that's the goal of each there's two 16 week sessions so applications are online i'll send you the link yeah yes that's perfect we'll put it in the show note that's great how has it influenced your own writing to be mentoring these young folks I know that that is a good question. Yeah, that that's a great question. I mean, it's interesting. I'll find myself giving them advice that I'm like, huh. That, <laughs> I find myself giving them advice that I need as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or it's uh, it's also interesting to see like what comes up in their process. Like some of them are writing about intergenerational trauma and then like encountering blocks around that which makes sense because it's a really difficult subject. It's really, it's really personal and emotional. And um, yeah, I think some of what I've been doing with them has been trying to like both normalize the blocks or normalize like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it is just really hard and um, to provide other strategies. So for example, um, when people are really blocked, I think really breaking down the writing process or really breaking down, wait, let's, let's lower our expectations for output. Let's lower our expectations to, um, can we trick our minds to, you're going to write something in the next five minutes and it does not need to be good. Um, it does not need to be good at all. Um, or we're going to do 10 minutes. And then we're going to um, we're going to do the strategy I learned from Lydia Yuknovich that she learned from poets, <laughs> the vertical read, where it's just a free write for ten minutes, and then um, going in and circling the gems, like circling images that jump out, phrase words or phrases that repeat. Um, sometimes a fragment of a line, just anything that has some heat to it, mm. and getting those all, and then making up a list of them. 
and mm. starting again. Oh. And so I, that, that's something we've done quite a bit in this class. <laughs> that's wonderful. And, yeah. And I think really trying to take the pressure off of like, we're not going to share our first writing of the day mm. or, or there's no pressure to, if someone yeah. wants to, they can, but. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You start with, you generate and then you have something to work with. Yeah. 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 It's like, we all need a warm up. So yeah. <laughs> like, all right. All right. <laughs> well, you know, and the things that I was listening to about learning actually recently is without struggle, you don't learn. So if you're comfortable, you're not learning and there's just no way to get around that. Right. And so the block is actually necessary. The the struggle is necessary. And and that's where you actually get the most growth. And, And so it's it's a sort of interesting thing to look at with that you know, that piece around the block, because I think so many artists, uh, you know, if I'm anything like other people I've met, where I make a grand generalization about a challenge. And, you know, this means I'm absolutely incapable. I've never been good at what I do. And this block just shows it. Right. And that's <laughs> so stepping away from the the idea that one obstacle even if it's an internal obstacle right. defines your well, anything other than that you have an obstacle <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and it's interesting to think of that like um like a work of writing because i'm like oh yeah writing is not interesting if there aren't obstacles <laughs> right <laughs> if there isn't a conflict if there if there aren't these significant challenges what is driving the story forwards <laughs> yeah. yeah right so then we can bring all that struggle of, of ourselves to our to our characters or it, to the page. it feels terrible when it's you <laughs> it's so exciting to read about <laughs> so celeste so you actually said you started three projects in september so one was the queer ancestors uh project what, tell us what else all right um oh goodness i guess the the other two were actually continuation projects when i think about it um one of them was the writing rainbow queer and trans people of color free writing series Mm. and that was a continuation from 2016 um but in this one i ramped up so that it was truly every sunday for nine months and brought brought in guest teachers as well and so it was once a week and then a drop in to just come hang out and write no pressure um and we got a good group of, I think, about 13 people and then more on the li- on the list who were like, I, w- I want to hear about this. I want to know. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Um, and then the other one was um, the next phase of Art Heart, Children of Riot Girl and Queer Corps. Your and film. This is your yeah, film. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this was really the production phase. I had been doing research and collaborating and just... Um, and now it was time to really set up, all right, doing, I'm doing these interviews. Um, I'm looking at, um, gosh, in it, I'm looking at a combination of things. I'm looking at what it was like to be raised by Riot Girl or inspired by it and what skills artists took away from that, those movements and 
Yeah, I feel like I'm talking with some really inspiring folks like Nomi Lamb, Mm -hmm. who just she just has like such a beautiful body of work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's so many genres that she's um, that she's worked with and through. And and the same with Brontes Purnell. He's extremely prolific, um, an author, zinster, filmmaker, dancer, musician. I'm like, is there anything else he doesn't do? So you're, yeah. So you, so, so you, so you, so you've interviewed like a bunch of people this year, yeah. and then, yeah. I, and then you did a screening. What was the screening? Was it a short or was it what was the screening? Yeah. So I screened a thirty-minute rough cut, um, and um, used it as a feedback session. Um, the ultimate goal. Oh my god! I'm like my ultimate goal. <laughs> All right, I, I keep saying that. My ultimate goal is a 40 to 55 minute film, but perhaps I should just say my goal really is to make a feature. Uh (laughs) Well, technically a documentary that's like an hour is a feature documentary. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking. I'm like 53 minutes, I think (laughs) might be the shortest. Right, right. (laughs) research this. I know, right? <laughs> what is the absolute <laughs> lowest number of minutes? <laughs> and so like, sometimes making something shorter is harder. Yes. Than like, yeah. right? You're like really cool. finding the, the gold. So does the idea follow their processes? Like, you know, because there's a lot of like uh, documentaries that are sort of about the people. Is this, right. this one more about the processes or tools or the time period? Or the, yeah, I mean, but <laughs> what's your organizing principle? There you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, it's it's um, gosh, I mean, it, it it's not like one of those solo profile films, mm-hmm. um, but it is. It, it's definitely a combination of following the processes and then also, I think, talking about talking about a movement. Yeah. Yeah. Talking mm-hmm. about like what what was this like? We we all grew up in the nineties and um, <laughs> and I mean every everyone in it was either involved in Riot Girl or inspired by it. Um like some people who are like, I was Riot Girl's kid sister. <laughs> right. I know I was actually when you were sort of when you mentioned zines, I was like, oh my gosh, a suddenly like a visceral flashback of being in Santa Cruz in the Kinkos, which is now owned by FedEx. And I was like, did they kind of lose all of their funding because zines kind of didn't continue on? Like although, that's- although not all those zines were paid for right that is true <laughs> I'm not, I'm not production was supporting kinko yes. <laughs> it was more like employee benefits right? yes. <laughs> um yeah yeah it's, yeah that way i know there was something about zines that just like, so you were in seattle at the time it sounds yeah like so yeah. which was a hotbed of riot girl culture yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i um Oh my goodness. Yeah. I remember I was like a teenager and just starting to come out. And that, that's when I found Riot Girl. (laughs) It sounds really funny at first through the library and uh, yep. I found um, Bikini (laughs) Kill at the library and then. um, Nice. I know it's so funny. And then I remember um, seeing, I went to Seattle Central College 
and seeing flyers for like the Foxfire convention, which I'm very sad. I actually didn't go to that in 97. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> it's almost. as much about what you miss as what you see. It. That's part of living in history, right? Is you don't always like, you're not always like, that's the important moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true the moment that was missed yes <laughs> oh my gosh yeah but no I, th- I think I did start um I think it it was basically how I started becoming politicized was listening to these lyrics um I remember going down to and I lived in Seattle which was near Olympia I started going down to Olympia for um yo-yo go-go lady fest and then I was one of the organizers in the first home a go-go and that was really like my schooling in community arts organizing <laughs> like yeah. yeah like that that's and I remember this moment um not jumping around but I do remember this moment of being in the basement of the Olympia zine library and um checking just like sitting there for a few hours reading through these different zines. I think especially Lauren Martin's You Might As Well Live mm-hmm. and um, Mimi Mimi Wynn's um, Evolution of a Race Riot and um, oh, there's others that influenced me, but those definitely, like I wrote to Lauren after that. And I, I think it's, I think there's something in particular about zines that is definitely like it, it feels like this telephone line mm-hmm. to another person who may be like you or has felt similar things, had similar experiences. And then to know that you can write to that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which especially like in the nineties, that wasn't like now it's like everybody's everyone's sort of available, but yet not really like in, you know, but there's that, that whole sort of in real life thing too. Of like, here's the yeah. scene that like I found in the laundry map, but like somebody, cause somebody left it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. I know a friend of mine had a zine called slumber and she was able to talk to so many artists Right. Through her own zine, right? That just was right. that process. And she was yeah, I'm going to go talk to Dorothy Allison. I was like, you have right. fun with that. I'm going to be over here making pizza. <laughs> but good for you. Not that I'm jealous, because I'm not, because I'm making pizza. So... I have a real question, and then we'll do steal this, but like, because like, okay. I'm really grappling. You know, I have, I mentor through my teaching, but it's also how I make a living. And so, right. um, I'm really, I mean, I'm really inspired by also how much you're just offering on a community mm-hmm. basis. Um, and I guess, but I guess my, my question is about how mentoring interacts with your own production, you know, like your own creativity as you know, how it both supports it and maybe also, I don't know, takes up some of its space. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. And it, and it really is both things, right? It really is. It's, it's both, um, a practice that I think feeds me and, um, definitely like nourishes new thoughts or new, um, I think definitely the process of going through and creating, like I created this nine month curriculum about, um, queer and trans history. It's sort of weaving together both past and, um, both the past and contemporary artists. And um, I think, you know, it's, it's like doing things like that, that was really exciting. And I think also in the process of teaching, figuring out like there's things that make sense in my head, but I'm like, wait, how would that make sense to another person? How, what, what steps am I missing here that I'm just 
So I think I think it's really helped my process in terms of like breaking things down a bit more. And I think like, wait, how how would I explain each step of this? What um, I mean, because because that's necessary and clear teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think I've both like done that where I'm like, oops, I did not break down that step enough. Let me let me backtrack. Let's do this again. Mm-hmm. Or also been in scenarios where I'm like, um, I think I'm grasping at what they're saying, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so I think that's so important, like, um, because we have to break it down for ourselves, too, right? Like, I'm always like, okay, what's my actual next step here? Like, what's, you know, I'm, you know, and even when I'm like coaching my friends, like, okay, make a list, you know, and they're like, make a list, make you figure it out. Like, we have to do that in our own creative process over and over again, because it's not like you can follow the same list. (laughs) Right. Like, oh, I did that before. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a really similar process. Right. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, I don't know, teaching and writing. I mean, I feel like it's both exciting because I actually really love thinking about craft all the time, mm-hmm. thinking about both craft and content and approaches to writing, teaching and writing. I mean, I, I think they can nurture each other. I, I think they have in some ways for me because um, I do love thinking about craft and content and approaches to the work all the time. <laughs> like that actually is really exciting. And I'm like, oh, that's partly for me too. And in a way, I'm also like trying to teach myself. Um, this is oh. three, Colin, I'm so, I'm so apologizing on the voice. We're like, every, okay, oh, let me just get my, it's my mom. So okay. Moms, I'm in the <laughs> middle of an interview right now, and be my myself, my answering machine is broadcasting you across so right our thing. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry, but I will call you back in about half an hour. Bye. <laughs> okay. We can. That's the miracle of editing, right? We have a landline. Yeah. Like, Keep it exciting. Oh, sorry. Please. <laughs> it's keeping our story exciting. <laughs> the unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I feel like I am teaching myself as well. And mm. um, so that that is exciting. Um, I think that, I mean, it's interesting working with, it's interesting because I, you know, it's like both exciting to create this environment that's supportive to young queer and trans people. And I realized in some ways, it's not just a writing group. It's also, it's also a support group in a way. Yeah. It's, it's about the work. It's about the writing, but also like having a, a space that holds them socially mm-hmm. and emotionally. And so that, that is both, I feel both grateful to be able to do that work and it's also, um, before this, I worked in social work for a long time <laughs> and, uh, and I actually, um, left those positions. Um, I think I left social work. No, I still kind of do it. I'm a caregiver for 93 year olds, <laughs> but, wow. but, but I guess it's more in a like limited way, mm-hmm. but it's interesting because it's like, there's so much that I brought home with me mm-hmm. and so I, I think with teaching where we're like supporting other people and especially if they are young and marginalized, it can be, um, it can be hard to leave, to leave that at the door. 
Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes literally because um, all my students are voluntary and it's a free program and it's nine months long. So I, I am basically constantly recruiting and in contact with the students. Like there's always reminders there. I guess there's a lot of like after work work. Yeah. The, and which I'm trying to figure out how to, um, in this first year of the program, trying to figure out a better balance of those things. Because actually, to be honest with you, this year it was out of balance. Like I, I feel like 80% of my energy went to Queer Ancestors Project. And then I had to, okay, maybe 70%. Mm-hmm. And then I had to, I had to really juggle all of my other projects. And it, and I had to, um, and with young people also like, I've been texted at midnight and, and had to really had to really be like, um, I thought I was clear that this phone number is only for when you are running late to class or you're lost or it's for before class time, not after hours. And so my next syllabus is going to be a lot more hardcore because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're modeling protect, you know, you're modeling being a living artist and, you know, like, yeah. like being an adult artist. Right. And, 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 and so that's important. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, you know, I mean, there's this thing where, I mean, some of the young people are telling me you're my mentor or I, or I want you to mentor me. And, and I'm also an artist who's working three jobs. Mm hmm. And I am also trying to make a feature film and I am also trying to in the very baby stages of working on my book. And so I'm trying to figure it all out. I'm trying to juggle it all. And um, I don't know, not going to lie. It's challenging. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it really is. It's, yeah. It is. I mean, I you, you, yeah, you can't have a bio like yours and not, and not be a little bit tired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It, and starting something is always huge, too. Yeah, and I think um, that your word balance is really important because um, I joke about this. My dad used to say all the time, all artists are assholes. And what he meant by that was that you had to hold boundaries. yeah. In order to actually make space for your art, which is kind of funny because he's, you know, bread truck driver guy, right? (laughs) But that's actually, I think, one of the most insightful things and for myself to not to shut down that side, but to really realize like in order to really be an artist, you really need to have those boundaries. Otherwise, there are there are so many people who are willing to Mm -hmm. seek your help in getting their work done. So Yes. So you're already contributing and you have a bounded way of contributing. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. It is time uh, for Steal This. <laughs> okay. Amateur poets borrow, said Diaz Elliott, professional poets steal. Um, <laughs> so, what have you come across in your wanderings in the last little while that you would like to take and make your own? Uh, do you want to start, Ange? Do you want me to start? Yeah, no, I don't want to make the last one. Um, <laughs> I am listening to this great, and I'm I, oh, I guess I have two minutes left. I'm listening to this podcast. It's part of the New York Public Library series, and cool. it's um, Terrell Alvin McCraney who wrote Moonlight, both the okay. play and the film script, and then Donya R. Love, um, who uh, actually has a 
a play called Sugar that's opening in New York, and there's like I saw there was like a review in the Times. Anyway, so and and they're they're talking with um, with a, a pro- professor of theater, uh, Michael D. Dewitty, Din Witty. So anyway, they're just all amazing. Mm. I'm like looking at my yeah, sorry. And um, okay, but the thing that was uh, one of them was talking about listening to Toni Morrison on like Charlie Rose like a long time ago, <laughs> and she was saying she was reading a, a passage. And, oh, this was Danya was talking about this. She was reading it. She was, Toni Morrison was reading this passage and she was like, why is this author going on and on about this? Like, I get it already. What's, why are they doing this? What is going on? And then she was, she realized, oh, they're, they're doing this for the white gays. Like they're explaining. And he, and Danya said he decided like then and there, like out of the gate that he was going to write for a black and for a queer gaze and that that was like what he was going to do. And even, um, like I think Terrell was sort of like, you know, wow. (laughs) Um, who's also just like mind blowingly amazing. But anyway, and I don't actually even, I'm just grappling with that. I'm not even like, I'm obviously not writing just for black queer gaze, but, (laughs) but I'm thinking about like, who are my, who are my people? Who is my audience? Right. How much am I willing to translate? And we are also living in Sebastopol, so I'm right. not necessarily like in a hotbed of like my people. Yes. Um, I love the people I, yeah. that are my people here, but you know. Um, right. So anyway, so that's I don't even have like an exact thing, but I'm just grappling with um, what it means to be um, you know writing as if only to your for yourself or only for you, you, the people you identify as your people, and and what mm-hmm. it sometimes means to speak across those lines. Mm-hmm. You know, which I guess I've been doing. <laughs> yeah. Lots to say about that, but I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, that's, it's kind of interesting because it's almost, I don't know. I'll let you go. You can, <laughs> you can think, because I feel like I just want to keep, you know, there's so many great, I just saw this TED talk fairly recently that I was sort of blown away by and I was going to look it up for a second but it was someone who was from you know like a rural area in Africa who went to college she's queer she went to South African college and you know talks about the moment when her roommate heard her speak in the language of the community her community of origin and that what had happened was as a queer person, she had gone to the big city, become sort of this other kind of person, so much so that nobody saw her ruralness. Right. And, you know, and so going back to her community and the main idea of being that she she she's both and 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 that she is like the ruralness should show up in her in some ways, no matter where she is. But right. that also in her rural community, she is like the queer is natural, like a natural part of that rural community. And for me, that was just really like profound because obviously a, I'm not from rural Africa, but from a place where when I was growing up, this was apples. Right. (laughs) And I actually had a pretty significant amount of internalized homophobia (laughs) growing up here and coming back here was hard. And so the idea, the notion that, that queerness was as natural in our homes, you know, was really important and amazing. And it actually drives a lot of what I, what I think about and write about. And so it's hard to imagine for me in some ways, like how, how, 
how broad I don't even know I don't even know what I'm saying maybe he's just having an emotional moment here I think that might be we'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, to that TED talk but I don't know yeah no <laughs> there you go your turn Celeste <laughs> completely derailed there but anyway all right now I'm, I'm, I'm sort of taking it all in I'm like huh um you know, well, what I can think of recently, it's funny, I was going to use the vertical read at first. I'm like, oh, I already talked about that. I love yeah. that. I'm stealing that. That's <laughs> Yeah. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, I guess I would say more recently I had been, oh, and this is one of the exercises we did in Queer Ancestors was um, we read James Baldwin's My Dungeon Shook letter letter to my nephew on the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation Mm. and then digested that and wrote our own letters that could be inspired in in some way in some aspect by his letter and so I think recently I was um attempting that with um a new essay and um it was more, it was more about like the after effects of intergenerational trauma or sort of like what um what lingers and what do you do with it when you're a child of um war survivors and um and so i think it really helped to have this one concrete person that was like my focus point of oh i'm writing this letter to this person i'm um i mean it, it's something that i both want it to be accessible but I think having that um having that definition having that in mind of oh this particular a dear friend who we've had all these connections we've like talked intimately about this subject in particular um it just I think it it allowed me to open up a bit more than I think if I was writing a more formal essay um yeah And I think another thing that I've been thinking about, I don't know if this is, maybe this is all connected. Um, I've been thinking about, so I'm very interested in experimental work, but then also making it accessible. So, and I've been thinking about that in the film, in Art Heart, Children of Riot Girl, because in some ways I could make this film primarily for, um, for my peers, for um, people who grew up in Riot Girl. But then I also want it to be accessible beyond that. I want it to, I want it to be something that can resonate across generations or across, um, you know, whether or not someone's been involved in subculture or not that, you know, um, so I've been thinking a lot about like, Oh, how do I, how do I do this? How do I, um, like what, maybe what, um, markers would I need to put in there that would like allow it to open up? And then in other ways, where can I really like play with it and experiment and not not feel like I have to explain or not feel like, you know, so trying to find that balance. Mm -hmm. And I guess I've been trying to find that balance in this um, in this essay that I just wrote. Um, And I I think we'll see if that works. I'm going to workshop it. um, I'm going to workshop it next week. So <laughs> the, the the one that's a letter, the, the letter. Yeah, for, yeah. <laughs> that's a, wonderful. It's a great way to kind of concentrate that question of who am I writing for? Yeah. And how much do I explain? Right. It's you get to have that intimacy of leaping across some explanations and then you get to. Yeah. 
Well, that's one of the yeah. like one of the screenwriting tricks they often talk about. Yeah. Cast your cast your script as you're yeah. writing it. Because oh, you can cool, then cool. sort of internalize, like if you have actors that you know locally or if they're movie stars, yeah. whatever, but you can kind of get their rhythms, their pieces, and you don't actually have to say, this is cast for this person, but right. it helps it be specific enough right. in much right. the same way this works, is yeah. that, spe- that specificity that writing right. to an, uh, an intimate can be. Yeah, that's great. Right. Oh, it's really wonderful to talk to you, Celeste. Can, I know. can you tell people? Um, well, we're going to put some links to the Answers oh, yeah. Project, and um, where else can people find you? All right, and your work and your so, art. <laughs> you can also find me at celestechan.com, my website, yeah. and um, also going to foglifterpress.com. And um, I'm a contributing editor for Foglifter. And also on Facebook, um, Art Heart Movie. And I can send you the link for that. Yeah, um, no, I've so, got that. That's great. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> and yeah, where else? That's a pretty good start. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, thank you so, yeah. so much. It's just been a, such a pleasure. Oh, yeah. Th- thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much.